Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's July 1st, 2016. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm a well-vacationed, well-relaxed Chris Casenza. <laughs> and, and we'll pause for everybody to snicker like, Chris goes on vacation? <laughs> It's true. Going the cruises. <laughs> My vacations are kind of lame too. I just go back to Connecticut, where I lived for 25 years before I moved here. So, but I did go to uh, the Cape Cod area and uh, had some fun there. So I, I did vacation. Had yourself that cranberry cocktail we were talking about? Uh, yes, I did. Ocean spray? No. I had some good stuff. I thought uh, it was funny because I, I, your wife called me last night and I asked how the vacation went. She's like, "Oh, it was all right." I'm like, "Oh." She's like, well, the last two days were kind of boring. We didn't have a car, so we just had to stay in. And I'm like, that sounds exciting for Chris. <laughs> he probably loved it. No, it's true, man. Just sitting there. And I'm like, I could be sitting at home. Just sitting there. You know, because everyone else had to work. And we didn't have the car anymore. And I'm like, okay, this is boring. And, and like every time, too, when I try to come home from Connecticut, the flight is delayed. And it's like every single time. It's like it's trying to tell me something, you know. Either don't come here or don't leave. But, you know, I don't know what it is. But every single time. Last year we ran out of gas and had to fly to Orlando because we were circling Tampa waiting to land. This time they made us stay in Connecticut until storm cleared Tampa. and It just, oh, I don't know. That's why I don't like going on vacation because I always get aggravated at the end. So, And then you got to come home. So, But it's good to be home. Well, that's good. I'm glad to have you home. I, uh, I I had a very tough week myself. Uh, you know, we're kind of on our summer break here, so it wasn't yeah. a tough week working. I mean, my inbox is zero now, but right. um, I started to binge uh, Game of Thrones, so that's not easy because that's a great show and so much going on. But then I also had to be first in line, and literally I was first in line on Thursday night, on opening night, for the very first showing of Independence Day Resurgence, 3D IMAX, <laughs> which I'm going to be paying for for the next uh, four years. You know, you have yeah. to phone to do 3D IMAX these days, right? Yeah. And uh, so I, uh, and the reason I bring it up, because we did this big, because I'm a huge ID4 fan, as folks know, and we, I, I forced you to do the whole Bill Pullen Paxson, President Whitmore speech when we gained our independence for the Times, right? Right, right, yep. And uh, so I love that movie, so I've been waiting for this uh, sequel, and it, it came, and I bought my ticket online, and then I had a couple friends that wanted to come, and I'm like, all right, just so you understand, I'm getting there early, all right? I'm, I'm getting there Star Wars early, because I don't <laughs> want to get, you know, crammed in the front three rows and have to go to the chiropractor the next day, right? <laughs> so they're like, all right, all right, we'll be there, and uh, I get there an hour and a half early, and there is not a line, and the doors to the IMAX theater are open. <laughs> <laughs> oh man I was literally the third person to walk in the theater and uh, it didn't even come close to filling up 
so everybody in the world knew what I didn't, and that was this movie was going to suck. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been happier in my entire life. <laughs> it was terrible. Not a single <clears throat> redeeming thing I can tell you about this movie. And so was the fact that Will Smith not in it, <laughs> that couldn't have saved it either? Well, it could have helped. Uh-huh. I don't know if it could have saved. It was, uh, you know, I read a lot of reviews lately, and all the reviews say the same thing I'm saying. It sucks. Uh, just not as strongly as I am because they're not as, you know, they don't have President Whitmore campaign t-shirts like I do. Right, right. right. Uh, but everybody's saying the same thing. They had five screenwriters, and it really did seem like they had five different movies going on, and they just kind of stitched it together where they could. Nothing seemed to make sense. Uh, even the CG stuff, which I, I never get too excited about, but even people that geek out about that, it, it was just like, eh, I wasn't really moving the needle on that. And um, didn't help the story. The actors were terrible. They only brought back, back a couple of them, and even them were t- weren't very good, but the new ones they had were bland as anything. Uh, there was no real story. Ugh. I mean, you know, the first one had all that good banter and stuff, right? Yeah. Sense of humor and the and the explosions were perfect. You know, like the you know the slow destruction of the White House and then you know Air Force One taking off. That stuff was cool, right? Here it's just like shooting stuff. <laughs> they had twenty years to do this. That's what I said. <clears throat> I actually, you know, because I don't normally do reviews online, but I bought my ticket on Fandango uh, oh, yeah. in advance, and then. Uh, the very next day, they sent me an email. How did you like Independence Day Resurgence? Please take this survey. And I'm like, this is going to be fun. Click that little thing. I gave it one star because I guess it was. There, there, there's one star worth of entertainment maybe, all right? And uh, then I just went off. And my first line in it was, the trailer says, we've been waiting 20 years for this. Perhaps we should have waited 21 or 22. <laughs> And now, will this, like, kill the sequel, the, the third no, one? No, and that's the worst That's the worst <clears throat> part of all this, right? Is now there's going to be a third one. They set it up at the end. And now I'm going to have to give another $15 because I'm not going to be the guy that doesn't go see the third one that actually redeems the second one. <laughs> and it's probably going to suck, too. And then I'm going to do the same thing here four years from now. Oh, man. I just, oh, man. I'm sorry, buddy. I, I, and I, it was funny because I still remember the moment I saw it on IMDb that they were going to have a sequel. I like instantly like texted you, <laughs> and you're like, "What?" And then you get back to me, and you're like, "You son of a bitch!" I'm like, "What?" You said, "You said there's only one sequel. There's going to be two. It's going to be the greatest thing ever." <laughs> and now, three years later, it's the worst <laughs> thing ever, and you're not even looking forward to the next one. And what I don't get is the same guy, Roland Emmerich. Same guy made it. <clears throat> See, here's the deal: is it's probably as good as the first one, but you no. just are now waking up finally. I realized it after the first one that it was horrible, but you, just taking you two movies to figure it out. The first one was campy horror. I know. I know. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example of how you can do Independence Day in the modern world, and that is White House, White House Down. Did you see that? No. With Channing Tatum and um, Jamie Fox. No, is that like a spoof on white uh, black lockdown? It's, it's just like Independence Day. They're acting like all this stuff is realistic, and it's so not. Okay. Right? Yeah. But it's full of action. It's got all the action stuff, but the humor's there. It's you know, it's really the Independence Day of the new generation, and that's what I was expecting from Independence Day Resurgent, which, by the way, I'm calling now just Resurgent, so it doesn't besmirch the <laughs> very good name of Independence Day. So. <laughs> 
You know what's really funny is that when our actual Independence Day comes up, that movie won't even be in the theaters. <laughs> no, it won't. But I'm glad <laughs> I brought that up. Uh, real quick segue here before we actually start talking about poker. Uh, I am entering a hot dog eating contest on Sunday, Chris. No way. Which means Monday you may own the entire company. <laughs> no way. You have to sign a liability waiver and everything. What happened to you to trying to lose weight? Well, you know, I'm still trying to do that. But I'm like, I've never I've never entered in a hot dog eating contest before. And Laura saw it. She's like, hey, you should do it. Is that this new hot dog place that just opened up around the corner for me that I've gone to a couple times? And I'm like, all right, I'll try it. So it's just going to be a fun little thing, right? Yeah. But the, bring, the reason I bring up on the show now is that Laura two days ago said, you know, hey, because she's volunteering at her uh, neighborhood family center that does all this great work for um, low-income folks in our community. Oh, cool. And um, she's like, you know, hey, I wanted to post this, but I want to ask, uh, what, what if we asked your... Uh, your friends and family to sponsor you at a dollar a dog and we'll put all that money towards the neighborhood family center's backpack program coming up and then you know she still works at the times where we did and they still do employee matches so everything's doubled and i'm like that's a fantastic idea so uh so shameless absolutely brutally shameless plug here <laughs> but if any of the listeners here are interested in donating a buck a dog Go to my Facebook page and you can do that. Uh, as of this morning, we are up to uh, $17 a dog. So, you, so you're basically going to down like a two dogs and a half maybe, right? What's two the most, dogs and a half? I was going to ask you how many you thought I was going to get. Are you going to do um, Are you gonna do like the guys on TV do, Joey Chestnut, and everything? Are you going to dunk the buns in water? All right, so here's interesting because I've been studying up on hot dog eating strategy, right? Yeah, we'll get to poker in about an hour. But, yeah, uh, and, um, <laughs> so here's the thing. Some competitions, dunking is allowed, and others it is not. Oh. So as I've said, if it is permitted on Sunday when I show up, I'm going to be dunking away, baby. Dunk away. But if it's not, then yeah. Yeah, because then you can do two dogs at once. And then right. one roll, and then dunk the roll, and two dogs at once, and dunk the rolls, and yep. you get a nice little. And you got to make that. You got to do that little that shimmy with the body thing. Oh, yeah, you got to get it down there. Got to get it in. But I've seen the size of your stomach. Once you start, it may not stop. Yeah, well, and that's that's the whole thing. Yeah, it has to be the stomach. It's not the size of the human being. That's fact, right. Actually, that's why fat people are not good at hot dog eating contests because they have so much pressure on their stomach. That's right. That's right. Oh, I, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, Laura guessed seven. I said the most I thought I could do is ten, and that's really out there. So I think seven's probably a good guess. Man, that's minutes. crazy. Well, put you, me down. You only think put, two and a half. Put me down for a buck a dog, buddy. I'll pay you. Really? Yeah, put me down for a buck a dog. Oh my god, it's a good, it's a good cause. That's if as long as it's all the cause, I spend money. You know what I mean? Now that Chris Casenza came out with a dollar, the rest of the world's gonna be. Yeah, put me down. That's right. I'm gonna shame everybody listening to the show. <laughs> if I'm paying a buck a dog, you guys better pay a buck a dog. All right, let's talk about some poker. So we got a, quite a long show here, but that's all right because we've been off for a week and a half. So uh, <laughs> I destroyed Chris's stopwatch, so he will not be doing. Eh, we're already at twenty-seven minutes. <laughs> I mean, we're we're going to have a real show here with really good poker. No one ever does an impression of me with a high-pitched voice. That's only you. They all go, you stop the ten minutes, Mark Ears. That's how they, for some reason, that's how I sound to people. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> they somehow do this sort of rocky impression. I don't know. But they never do the high thing for you. I, I don't. For me, I mean, I, they do it for you, so. <laughs> all right, so here we go. Uh, so we had a home game before you left for Connecticut, and uh, we had a couple, two interesting things that came up in that. Um and what actually three three interested things uh, we actually usually only play for six hours from noon to six because it used to be my wife used to work during the day on Saturday and she'd get home around six and she wants you all out of our house right yeah now she's off on weekends and she's like oh my god now I gotta sit around and watch you guys play poker for 
all day <laughs> on Saturday. So. But yeah, so she was actually working night shift this time, so we actually played up until 9 o'clock or so. so. Wow, because I left at like 6.30. Wow, I missed two and a half hours. I thought for sure you guys would go like 7 or something, but I didn't think you'd go that far. Wow. Uh, well, nine, we actually had to put a time limit on it. At one point, we were like, yeah, hey, we're going to play all night if we don't just decide to quit at some point. Holy cow. So, yeah, you lost that on two and a half hours of profit there, buddy. I know. I should have stayed. All right, well, the first thing came up while you were still there. And um, so what happened? We were playing uh, Pot Limit Omaha, and uh, you and Dr. Frank and I were all holding Ace-10 on a Queen-Jack-King flop. With two hearts on the board, right? Right. Uh, Frank bet out. You called, and then I potted it. And, uh, and correct me if I get any of these facts. We had a caller in between. Oh, that's true. Yes, yes, that's true. There was another <coughs> caller in between. Right. Um, so after I potted, Frank called. Chris folded, and then this other player who was holding pocket kings, as we found out later, called. So he had flopped a set. Three of us had flopped the the nut straight. Broadly, yeah. And uh, you got out because you had no redraw. I had zero redraw, and there was no way three players are going pot, call, pot, you know, all this other stuff, and not have probably two of them have it. So I'm looking at, you know, I'm somebody is free rolling against me, and I'm only going to be able to chop like one guy probably if I'm lucky at it. So yeah, I got out. No redraw. Yeah. All right. So on the turn, uh, Frank bet uh, the player with kings called, and I potted all in. And I don't remember what the turn was, but it wasn't the heart. And, uh, right. Otherwise, inconsequential, right? Yeah. Um, so Frank called, and then the Kings guy uh, folded for just 16 Skittles into what was probably about a 140-ish Skittle pot. Big mistake. <laughs> well, let me ask you, before you say another word, when Frank called your all-in, you were short-stacked. Frank still had money left. Not yeah. saying that the move was wrong or right. I'm just saying... He still could have been looking at Frank's bet if the board doesn't pair, and Frank right, had Frank more had money. Called on that street, so he was going to shut down the action. Oh, so he was going to shut down the action. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he should have called sixteen. 16. And then yeah. if the board didn't pair, then obviously he would be smart to fold at that point. So yeah. Yeah. I guess our criticism is is that it's a little bit more than ten percent of the pot size when he's holding top set. Right. The board pairs. That this pot's going to be his, right? Yeah, he's getting 10 to and 1 on his money for 10 odds. It's definitely well, worth it, yeah. Exactly. But he did. He felt it, which is music to my ears. Because of the river, the, the board paired. Yep, the board paired in the end. <laughs> and then uh, Frank and I, I think we, I don't know what we did. If we checked it down or we, No, you were all in. Didn't matter. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was all in. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up splitting the pot, of course. And, of course, the Kings guy would have won had he not folded. And you obviously would have split as well. But uh, none of us had a heart redraw. So this is what was interesting about us all having a similar hand, but in PLO, not the same hand, right? Yeah. So I I certainly agree with you. If I was you in your spot with your stack, I would have had to begrudgingly fold as well, too. Yeah. It was, it was one of the first times. I, I can't remember really. I think I've done it online, but it's very rare that you... You know, you, you read about it all the time. I remember, I think it was Annie Duke, one of her chapters about Omaha somewhere. And she had said, you know, there may be a time where you flop the nuts and you fold. And I'm like, really? And I mean, yeah, I guess so. And sure enough, it happened to me. Because there, just to me, I just thought there was no way someone's... Do, at least two of these guys have to have the same hand as me. And one of them or probably has... Plot, splitting the pot at that point. Yeah, yeah. So and I'm like... You're not going to improve. You can't improve. Yeah. So, Best so, you could do is split the pot. Best I'm doing is splitting, and, and it, it, I could be up against a set and a flush draw. And I'm like, I'm just getting out. And it was it was the right move, I thought. In the end, I would have split probably like 
twenty dollars three ways. I might have been seven or eight bucks or something. So if I'd stayed in, but it just to risk my entire stack for eight bucks was not worth it. I could have lost my whole stack. So oh no, and that this is the key with redraws in this game that I think a lot of newbies to PLO don't get is they get excited. Hey, I've got the nuts. I got to be all in, right? And now same with even if we get into high low, that's a different story too. You know, if you get the nut low, I got to be in, right? Well, no, not necessarily because <laughs> yeah. you could be splitting that low, and then somebody's free rolling on the high, and they're gonna get quartered and actually lose money. So. Um, and normally I would be in the same spot <clears throat> as you were, but I blessed I was blessed with a short stack. Yeah, you had a short stack. You had so no that's choice. the only reason I didn't care. I was yeah. like, you know, hey, I'm short. <clears throat> I, I can't fold this hand now. I got to get it in. I, it's I, I had a much uh, lower ceiling of risk than you did in this particular yes. hand, even though we had the exact same hand. Yes. Now Frank, on the other hand, was flush with trips, uh, chips, and. No flush redraw, so I, I think he was playing with fire a little bit there. Yeah, because we were in a very similar situation. Uh, you know, I was one to his left, I was right on his left, and we had almost the same stack. So because the betting, like if you, if I was in his spot and you make a bet, I'm going to call it if I'm in his spot. But then when it gets to me, I'm like, all right, I'll call it once and see what happens on the turn. And then if everybody kind of shuts down or somebody gets out and Scott bets pot, I'll go into pot with one person, maybe. But with four guys in the pot, there's just no way. So I think Frank was okay doing what he did early because he was earlier in the betting. But if he was where I was, I don't know if he could have done what I, what I did. I think he, you know, he, he would have had to have folded. He could. Yeah, have. that's true. Well, he was leading the bet. He was the first actor. Yeah, yeah. Everything too. So it's a different story. He had already committed money that you hadn't committed. So right. You had the option of not committing that money. Yep, exactly. Uh, obviously, I guess he had the option of checking, but you can't. I don't think you can rightfully right. check the nuts. Can't check the nuts on the turn. Yeah, especially when you feel like you, you, especially when you know you don't have a redraw. So now, now you got to bet and just hope that it doesn't get there. And can, so tough spot for him as well, too. Yeah, that was a bizarre hand. I ended up only losing like six or seven on that because it, it was early enough in the hand where it was pre-flop. You know, it wasn't raised. I don't think so. It was like you know one. Or whatever we fifty cent, whatever we played for for the blinds, and then when the flop came, it was like he went pot, and it was like nothing. It was like three or four dollars pot, and then it got to you, and then you potted it, and then so I mean I didn't really lose that much on it, but it was a very frustrating day for me. I was actually kind of glad that uh, I had to go because it was just like I mean I I made month you know skittles whatever you want to, it's ridiculous but yes, we, we want to say skittles yeah so we, I made skittles. Um, but it just never – and it seems like this is going on a lot lately, and maybe I should talk about this on the show more often, but whenever I play, it seems like I'm never above 40 Skittles, and I'm never down more than, like, 20 Skittles. And then I'm always ended up, like, between 20 and 30 Skittles when I leave up, you know? And it's like I never – and the timing just felt off all day for me. Like this one, for instance. I mean, the one time I actually flop a hand – Two other guys have the exact same hand, and I got another guy going for a. You know, what I mean, it was like I had to get out of it, and it, it just was very frustrating. Um, and it seems like when I want to be aggressive, someone has a hand, and when I don't want to be aggressive, the pots are small, and I win that one. You know, what I mean, it just, I don't know, it just seemed so frustrating in that game. Every every single time, it happened to another hand too later, where I had to fold because of the situation, but then it would have held up. And I would have won a big pot, and it's like twice. If I had won those two, oh, it was uh, what hand was it? Was right, it was right toward the end before I left. Um, I can't remember what it was now, but it was a giant. Oh, it was the um, Mark was on my left, and it was that giant hand 
or I would have made a fl- I was I would I had the back door flush in my hand and I flopped like the second nuts and it was PLO again and it was Mark driving the action and at the end everybody it was a huge pot that was that huge huge pot with Faso and everybody and I get out and if I'd stayed in I would have made the nuts and it's like just it was just poor timing the entire day for me it was very frustrating so we're having another home game this this month so next month too, we're going crazy. Yeah, we're going three months in a row. Unbelievable. Oh, so this next home game—I know we got another hand to talk about—but this next home game, are we playing past six again, or is that going to be? Is it too uh, no. early to know? No, no, no. Only when the Okay, so that won't be the six. <laughs> so All right. Just accordingly. So I have to make my profit early and get out like it. Timing figured out early. <laughs> I do. I got to figure it out. <laughs> All right. All right. So this next one happened after you left, and uh, again, very interesting. Uh, we're playing no limit five cards single draw. Now we don't normally play this. Almost no one plays this, right? But we it, we do get it called probably once a game. Yeah, right? maybe once a day. And um, so I was dealt tray four five six X. All right, pre flop. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever, pre draw. Pre draw. Yeah. And uh, raised uh, on the com. Another player raises me, and we got another caller. So I called at that at that time too. I mean, obviously, I wasn't hoping to get a caller. I was hoping to just stick down the pot there or get heads up. So now I've got three people in here, but you know, uh, his raise wasn't so significant that I was going to fold here, right? So mm-hmm. I called. Now the re-raiser stood pat, which almost never happens in five card draw. And uh, I obviously threw away my X and, and got a deuce, so I hit my straight, right? Um, so this guy uh, bets 40 Skittles. Pretty significant bet, right? Uh, the other play folds, and he gets to me, and I'm like, well, I hit my hand, right? I got a call, and I called. And uh, he shows a king high flush. <laughs> he was dealt, dealt a king high flush in five-card draw. <laughs> wow, well... And we figured out later, actually, we were talking about it there, we figured out later the odds of being dealt a flush at just more than 500 to 1. So, you know, about twice uh, twice the rate of getting dealt pocket aces and hold them. But, um, but as we discussed the hand, this is where I realized how boneheaded I was here to call, call this post-draw bet. Yeah. And, and the funny thing about our home game, this is what I really like about our home game, is obviously we're all there to win money. None, none of us, or I'm sorry, Skittles. None of us like to walk out of there with fewer Skittles than we came into the game with. Right. right. We all want to walk out with more Skittles than we came in with. But it, we really do spend a lot of time talking about these hands after the after the fact, right? Yeah. We spend a lot of time talking about the hand when, with you and, and Frank and uh, Kyle, uh, that we just talked about, um, and that's what we really like. So we we all get better at this game in our home game, I think. And so it's competitive, but it's not, you know, you know. But we're not cutthroat trying place, to kill each other. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're friends. Arguments, right? Right, we're friends. So, so we discussed this hand a lot for the last hour. So it came like you know, I don't know, maybe eight o'clock at night. So we discussed it a lot, and. Um, and this is where I, I don't play this game enough, so I didn't think about it. Um, but unless he was snowing, uh, which really makes absolutely no sense in five-card draw. It's different in deuce to seven no draw. But uh, the worst hand he could have here was a straight. The worst legitimate hand, I guess I should say. I mean, it's possible he could have had two pair with an ace kicker and just said whatever. But that's silly, right? So the worst hand he could have is a straight. And so that means there's only one of those that I could beat, which would be the wheel. So as soon as he stood pat, uh, obviously I couldn't undo my bet, right? I had to draw, but I really should not have put another Skittle into that pot, right? Yeah, no, you shouldn't have 
it shouldn't have called the, the bet on the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, a couple of things here. One, I can see if you have position, I can see someone standing pat and bluffing in this game. But because you you realize when they stand pat now, you may change what you draw to and try to hit your hand. You're not going to, and then he just shoves or something. But I can see that. I, I don't want to get into that because, like you said, the show's getting long. But the other thing I wanted to say was you're right. Um, I think your calling was a mistake, but I also think you could have shoved. If this game was big enough, you could have shoved on him because here's how you set it up. You had four cards and drew. You could have easily had two pair and made your boat. And then if this guy was a real thinking player and really valued his stack, you could have then come over the top and said all in. And then this person really has to think, well, we had think about it now. He had four cards. Who raises with four cards and draws to a straight? Very rarely. They usually do that with two pair. Two pair. Yeah. So now you've raised with two pair. You've called another raise. You drew one, and now you're shoving on a guy who bets forty. Is his flush good? Really? He can only beat a bluff there. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. But the but the fact that yeah, you're right. You should not have called there. You should have folded or shoved. But you know, I, very I interesting. Mean, I didn't but, think about the show, but that makes sense. If you're thinking about your chips as tools and not as money. Right. Or Skittles or whatever. As a snack after the As game. A snack after the game, exactly. Then, the, I mean, the play there to win that pot is to shove. And as long as this player is a thinking player, it isn't somebody who can't. Oh, I can't let go of this because I've already put forty in plus the, re, the raise earlier, raise earlier. You know, he's got to think. Hey, what could they go? You know, and you have to think about the story you just told. You told a perfect story that you made a boat. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But. Yeah, I You're would right. never have called. I actually told a story better than a straight there. You're right. Yeah, you told a story better than a straight because who, who raises, very rarely do people raise on the come in one draw out of right. position. That just doesn't happen. And so when you did that, it was really ballsy. But then you said, if you thought to yourself, well, how can I get him off his hand? Well, and you think the story you told, well, I told him a story. I had two pair. And now I, I just made my boat. And unless his boat is bigger than a big boat, he's got to fold. And the odds of him being dealt a boat. That's true. He could have been dealt a boat, too. But, yeah, you're right. That's, right. that's even more shocking than being dealt a flush. Right. But, yeah, I think the right move here was but to, to this, fold your 3, 4, 5, 6. The, the fact <laughs> that we don't play this game enough. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're right. So, at the time, I was just flabbergasted. Oh, my God, he stood pat. Who's, who stands pat in five-card draw? Yeah. And what I should have thought is started thinking of the hands that would do that. And you're right the, at that point. Yeah, it's either but a fold I also, or... I mean, uh, I, I was playing non-optimally this night because you know I don't know we had a lot of vacation stuff we put on our credit card recently and so I, I went into the game a little more scared than I normally do cause I'm like I really don't want to drop two skittles of buy-ins here uh, or one skittle of buy-ins so right. at that point I had been short stacked the whole day but built back up and I, I had a nice profit at that point and even with the the forty skittle stupid call there I still was above my starting stack. starting stacks yeah. And had I shoved, um, I think he had me covered actually. So I, mean, I think he was the chip leader at the table there, or the skittle dealer <laughs> at the table there. So if I was wrong, then I would have went from fighting all day to get back to plus, to being, yeah, being down to again, to having to dig into my pocket for the last hour, and and then that's that's a tragedy at that point. I mean, we, again, we, we don't want to go too far into this show, but um, you know, it's a frame of mind kind of thing that you know. Had I done that and lost the stack, then I would have been playing very reckless with my second tie-in 
and that was not a good way of playing either. So yeah, and that's that gets back to the whole frame of mind when you're playing. You can't go into this thinking, oh, this is my rent money or this is my vacation money. You have to, you know, you have to play with what you're willing to lose and play properly. So, and you're right when you sit there and you fight all day to get back that loss that you've had. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, there's no way I want to give this up now over one hand. I'm not going to have another hand in 30 seconds. Just let it go. Bluff like that, right? Yeah. It's, it's different if it's like you have a, a, a good made hand and you're just not sure whether it's good enough. Right, right. Here, advocating what you do, which I think is the perfect strategy in a non emotional world. Yeah. It, it shrinks up in an emotional world. Yeah, if you're Bill Gates and it's like, okay, yeah, I'm all, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's like, I'm all in. Let's see what you got, you know. But yeah, when you fought all day like that and you got things over your head, yeah, it's easy to see you folding but, or just calling. All right, well, it's summer, and that means that CBS's uh, reality show Big Brother is back. And uh, folks that uh, remember hearing us whine on about this last year know that last year, Poker Pro Vanessa Russo and California Poker Dealer Devon Mamaday Rogers were contestants last year. Uh, this year's just started last month, and uh, Devon is back in the cast, as is a Russo, Chris. But not Vanessa this year. It's Tiffany, her sister, who is a spitting image of her, Right down to the constant crying. <laughs> oh, jeez. I mean, really, it's shocking. My wife is just sitting there watching. She's like, I feel like I'm watching Vanessa. And I'm like, I know. It's Vanessa with, uh, uh, Vanessa's a brunette. Oh, jeez. They look exactly the same. They sound exactly the same. And then I'm like, I even joked at the beginning. I'm like, I, I hope uh, Tiffany doesn't cry as much as Vanessa. And then, sure enough, 10 minutes into the show, <laughs> there she is in confessional. And, falling and I'm like, yeah, all right. Oh, uh, they're only fourteen months apart. She, uh, Tiffany's the younger sister. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah, so I don't watch the show, so we can move on. <laughs> right, yeah. We're, we're not, this is the only time we're probably going to be talking about this one. This right, year. right. <laughs> for for those of you uh, interested in poker, ish, and ish out the show, <laughs> join us on Big Brother. All right, and then uh, of course we got a lot to catch up on on the World Series since you've been gone, Chris. And uh, here we go. Jason Mercier is easily the hottest player of the series after winning event number 24. That's a 10K horse. It was his second bracelet of the week. Yeah. With a runner-up finish in between. Wow. Crazy. He would later go on to make a final table in event number 32 and finish 11th in event number 36 as well. And in addition, there is a now ugly side bet with Vanessa Selps that will pay him a reported $1.8 million if he can win win a third bracelet this series, and I'm sure we'll talk about that after we get to the rest of these updates. Uh, Ian Jones became the second multiple bracelet winner of the series after winning event number 28. That was a 10K limit event. Uh, oh, boy. Yuns? Yuns? Jens Green. Jens? Could be Jens Green. Jens Green. <laughs> it was down to one big blind during heads-up play in event number 29, which is the 1500 no-limit uh, hold'em event. A battle back to force an unscheduled fourth day of competition before finally succumbing oh. Alexander Ziskin <laughs> after a 460 hand final table half of it during heads up play oh man all that for n- nothing I mean obviously something he made the second but oh hey hey, hey we'll, go, we'll go through this when I get done alright all right. <laughs> right, I'm going to mash this other name too uh, I'm going to say it's Ani Awad I don't know it could be Hani I think it's Hani Awad uh, finished second in the $2,500 uh, mixed Omaha 8 stud 8 event last year, but was the champion of event number 36 this year. So last year he finished second, very same event this year. He redeemed himself with one. Nice. nice. 
And finally, Mitchell Towner, a college professor from Arizona. I should say a 29-year-old college professor, so he's not like, you know, this guy with the right. ear pipe and the uh, patches over his elbows elbows on the right. sport jet, right? Yeah. Uh, he had never cashed in a poker tournament of any kind before, Chris, until he won this year's 6,927-player monster stack uh, in event number 41. He had only played two tournaments before with buy-ins of more than 100 bucks. But now he has career inning earnings of one million one hundred twenty thousand one hundred and ninety six skittles. That's sick. Excuse <laughs> me, I'm so choked up now. That is really sick. I mean, I mean, really. I mean, how many times have we entered tournaments that were? I, I'm, you know, a couple hundred bucks or something. But I mean, it, that's just sick. Yeah. Sick. And they said uh, the reporters were just sitting there stunned when he told them that you know, he never cashed before. He hadn't played more than. Because I mean, <clears throat> this isn't like winning a um, I don't know, you know, the six hundred player anti only tournament field, right? This is nearly seven thousand people in the monster. This is a very popular tournament. Yeah, and, uh, to be able to get through that field, um, which has some really strong players still alive towards the end, is just amazing for someone that just. Uh, he did mention in his um, post interview, uh, post win interview. Uh, that he does uh, listen to poker podcast. He did not mention us specifically, so we'll find out. We'll see. Actually, listen to us or not. Well, we're the only one, so he has to listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so this can you imagine being down to one big blind during heads up play, and this other guy? Can you imagine this guy lost? Right, you had your opponent down to one big blind in a World Series of fifteen hundred dollar. I mean, I can't even imagine what the chip were at that point, right? Yeah. And you got to think now. I, now I just got to you know swat this fly, and I've got my bracelet. And then it goes on for two hundred and thirty hands. <sighs> Unfortunately, you win. I mean, to his credit. But and wow. how did how did Ziskin fall asleep that night when he yeah. knew he had to go back the next day? He said, "How did I not put this guy away?" Oh man, I would, and he finally did. But uh and then you got to think about this Jen guy. I mean, he's like. All right, I've come all the way back and done all of this, and I'm and then I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose anyway. But, you know, this is what I tell people all the time in Heads Up, cause, especially in sit-and-goes, because I really like playing sit-and-goes, well, I used to when I could, but um, is that you don't need to worry about knocking out that chip leader when you're three or four people left. You know, let that guy knock out some other people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, you've got the goods, go after it, but if you don't, don't, don't feel like you have to be knocking those people out to chip up, because once your head's up, you just got to win a couple hands, and whatever lead that guy has... Is now evaporated. Yeah. Right. Yep. So this is a great example of that. So, um, and then um, yeah, this is Jason Mercier stuff. Uh, this, this bet. I don't know if you've read about this bet, but uh, people are in the poker world will be talking about this bet for quite a bit coming up, especially if he does get a third bracelet, and either either he gets paid off on his bet or Vanessa reneges on it. It's going to be really, really interesting. I mean, so far I think people have really talked about it a lot. Well, he still has to win it. The other thing too is that you know the poker players are notorious for those buyouts or whatever. Where yeah, but that's just it. He's he's turned down all of our buyouts. Oh, he has. Oh, okay. Oh man, you see, I didn't know about that. So yeah. yeah. So according to her, this this bet was made at a poker stars event when she was quote unquote blackout drunk, <laughs> and she woke up the next day, realized what she did, and immediately called him and offered to buy him out for ten thousand with an apology, and he said no. Wow. And since then, I think there have been some other offers of buyouts, and he's like, nope, that's a bet. 
Wow. Can you imagine how she was, I mean, when he made another final table after the second one? Yeah. And then he, he finished 11th. And, oh, man, she's got to have a pit in her stomach the size of Grand Canyon. All right. So the debate now going on is what is the ethics of these uh, poker prop bets out there? And, uh, you know, he claims, you know, hey, I, you did not look anywhere near as drunk as you're claiming you were now. And, uh, I mean, it's a, he said, she said, there's other people there. But, um, you know, this this could get ugly. Yeah. And the way he's playing, I would not be shocked at all if he gets that third bracelet now. I mean, that's two bracelets, a runner-up, and a, uh, a final table, and then an 11th. That's just an incredible run so far. Yeah. And I, I've given us updates to event forty three, so we got another twenty events to go. I think. Yeah, Some something. Like, yeah. <sighs> wow. Wow. Uh, See, so here's the thing: is I wonder if poker stars will step in. Because I mean, it's not. You know what I mean? They're yeah. they're both poker stars pros. Might you try know? to broker something. You mean? Yeah, like broker something. You know, I mean, it's 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 two of their people, and it seems to be getting like you said ugly. They don't need that. It's got they got enough bad publicity with people trying to push. Poker online poker out of the, you know, so I I wonder if they might step in and say, hey guys, look, let's let's come to an agreement here or something, you know, and or he could just not win his third bracelet and then everything, nothing will happen. But if he does win it, oof. well, I, I guess what I'm curious about too is that um, you know I don't do these prop bets, right? I just they're kind of funny. I mean, obviously I'll eat, eat some hot dogs on Sunday, betting <laughs> any money, right? And no one's going to have to give me more than 10 bucks, right? So right. it's not a big deal, right? right. If somebody reneges, whatever. It's going to be unfortunate, but it's 10 bucks, right? Maybe I'll do it. We'll see how the partnership goes out of that, and <laughs> we'll compare it to the... <laughs> um, but, you know, these kind of things are commonplace in poker, and as poker fans, lots of people love them, right? Oh, yeah. hey, do you hear what Gavin Smith is betting this? And um, So I'm, I'm not suggesting that, that players quit doing it because it is an enjoyment thing. It's something they like to do. But here's an example of how they can go really badly, right? Because now it's just so common to make these bets. You say it, and then, uh, oh, shoot, I was drunk. I'm sorry. Here, here, take 10000 bucks and forget about it, which, you know, God, can you imagine that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, oh, I wonder what the the ethics are involved here. I mean, who who is being the least ethical person in this debate based off of what we've understood about it? I mean, is he not being uh, ethical by accepting her version that she was drunk and taking her buyout offer and and um, letting it be, or is she being unethical by claiming, "Hey, uh, you should have known I was drunk when I made that bet and it wasn't a good bet." Um, good arguments on both sides, I think. Well, I don't, I don't know. I know we're talking about ethics here, so it's 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 a fine line. Uh, because if she was indeed that drunk, you know, we're all adults. And you know what? You well, have to be held responsible. Say, let's yeah. say you and I made a bet, right? And I had had whatever level of beer you want to put on me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we know you would have had zero beer in you, right? Right. So, I mean, you don't drink, right? So right. I would not expect you to have any compassion for me when I come back the next day and say, Chris, hey, man. When I told you you could have my half a company if I could only eat four hot dogs, I was kind of drunk. <laughs> I mean, it's not a fair thing for me to say to you, right? Now, I don't know whether Jason Mercer drinks or not, but, you know, at some point, I would feel a personal responsibility in myself that I allow myself to get into a situation 
that was controllable and I did not control it. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I think you would be fair to say, hey, I don't drink, so why should I have to let you out of this bet because you got uh, sloppy last night? Because here's the other thing, exactly, when you're at the poker table and someone's really drunk, what do they exactly. always say? Take advantage of them. How is it any different because you're not at the poker table? If you're drunk and you're gambling, you're gambling. When you're at poker table, they're they're making you, you know, sometimes the floor might come over and throw the guy out because he's so hammered. But you love playing against a drunk guy because he's going to keep spilling his chips and everyone loves it. And we all make jokes about it at the home games saying, oh, there's this guy who's so drunk, gave me 300 bucks just for, you know, he had to do seven. Hey, he's an adult. So if you make a bet and you're hammered, you shouldn't make the bet. You shouldn't get hammered. Or if you knew that when you got hammered, you might do something that you might regret, then don't get hammered or don't do the things you might regret. I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, he's got every right to make her stand up to this bet. Right. And then the flip side is, I mean, there is some compassion involved in that this is a very shocking bet. I mean, it was with 10000 bucks at 180 to 1, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I no, very few people are making these kind of bets, right? So and there, I think there's a thing where you wake up the next morning and, and there is a, a compassion part here where you come, hey, I know that was a really crazy bet and, you know, but please understand I didn't mean to make it and... You know, I don't think it's good for us to have this bet, and I'm not asking you just let me out of it. I'm, I'm offering to give you something to get me out of it. Um, I, I can see a case why people would be upset at him for for not acknowledging that. So, not taking sides here. I'm just no, no, me neither. I, I and I agree. I mean, it, if you and I did something like that, we've always we've had things where we joked around, and and then later on, like, yeah, don't worry about it or something. So, I mean, that that's you know, any other thing too is you have to wonder: are they friends then? Because I, I don't think I could do that to a friend. That's a very if, good point. You know, yeah. so maybe if they're not friends, and I can see them holding yeah, on that. Excellent uh, point. Yeah. You know, but ah, I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be a scary series for Vanessa. <laughs> All right, AntiUpPokerRoom.com, our new subscription-based online poker room, is accepting members now for its launch on July seventh. Play all you want for fourteen ninety-five a month. That's fourteen dollars ninety-five cents. Uh, if you live in one of the 25 eligible states, including our first online Annie Up Poker Tour series, July 7th to the 17th, win our main event and get 1000 bucks and your face on the cover of Annie Up Magazine. Pretty That's exciting. Fun. Yep. Also, Dover Downs Hotel and Casino in Dover, Delaware, will be awarding Annie Up Poker Cruise packages for two for our November 14th sailing out of Tampa to the top five finishers in the $65 buy-in tournament on July 3rd. So right, right around the corner. For more information on this event and all Annie Up Poker Cruises, visit AnnieUpCruises.com. And when you're in that tournament, be sure you watch the Facebook Live so you can watch me eat hot dogs. <laughs> Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at AnnieUpMagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. comes from Justin Lee. said, this is what was posted on our neighborhood Facebook group. Just a reminder, poker tonight at 6 p.m. We will start promptly at 6 p.m. Please bring a snack to share BYOB and or other drink of your pleasure. We had five beginners show up last month. They had a great time. We will place the new refresher course uh, folks at a slower play table. You will be mixed with seasoned players. The other tables will be normal speed. So now he says, this is a buy-in, $20 buy-in tournament with rebuys. I definitely want to encourage more poker in the neighborhood, but the way they play seems ridiculous, and I think... It would take a miracle for them to even get to a reasonable poker knowledge where they would understand stacking one table with newbies and playing slower doesn't make sense. What do you think? Is it worth the effort to try to explain the flaws in their current game, or will I just be perceived as a know-it-all and an unfriendly player? 
Yeah, this is a tough spot for Justin to be in, I think. So I think what I told him was this kind of depends on how important this tournament, uh, this regular weekly, whatever, weekly tournament, monthly, whatever it is, is to him. So obviously this is a very poor way of running a tournament. We all know that. Right. right? You can't right. have one place where you put, you know, the, in a tournament where the, you've got a singular clock, you can't have one table where you put all the people that act very fast at one table and then other people at the other. It's just not fair. Uh, just not fair. <laughs> it's not fair to anyone, right? Right. right? So um, now, what I would say though, it's a twenty-hour buy-in tournament. I get what they're trying to accomplish here. They're trying to get people involved in the game, and um, and they're not trying to. They don't want to scare them away by mixing them all in with 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 sharks, right? Um, so yeah. So if he knows these people pretty well, I I think you can have a um, a good. Um, Light conversation with them about why there might be a better way of doing this. Um, but if you don't know them very well, or you feel that they will take offense to it, then you gotta decide: Do I just want to play this, and even though it's weird, um, or is it worth the risk of them saying, "Hey, you know, Mister Smarty Pants, go somewhere else"? I think that I would either pass on this. Or I would suggest two single-table sit-and-goes. Let the, them sit over there and play in their tournament. You play in yours. And then if they, once they're comfortable and they want to mix it up, fine, but it's not fair. Why should I have to go put my $20 in and, you know, be put, you know, against, put something against? It's not like it's my handicap league that I was talking about earlier in the season here or whatever where, you know, we're trying to give people more chips. This is a totally different thing. You're you're literally separating the good from the bad until they're comfortable. To, you know, it's just it's just not right. So maybe give them their own little tournament, and you have your own little tournament. What's the difference if it's going to well, be two I tables think you've anyway? Well, I onto something here. I think the best thing probably is to go to these people not with, hey, this is not a good way of doing things. Change it. Yeah. But go to them and say, kind of explain, be able to explain to them why this is not the good thing. But to come up with a, here is something that you could do differently that would accomplish the same goal that would make the tournament fair. So, yeah. so have a solution to the problem rather than just yeah. bellyache about it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And I would say probably the solution is, hey, you can't mix people in a tournament and you have to explain to these newbies that that's just the way it works. It's not, we're trying to be unfair to you. It's, it's unfair to do it any other way. But have them show up an hour early and have their own practice tournament, and then they jump into the real tournament with everybody, and they have to understand, like all of us did, that you know when you're starting out in this game, you're at a disadvantage, right? Yeah, it, I mean it's training on the job. So. That's exactly right. How did we get to be the players we are? Well, we didn't get special treatment at Derby Lane. They didn't say, "Here, Chris, go sit over there and wait till it gets to the final table, then we'll bring you in, and then you have a chance to win this." No, they said, "Hey." You got to go in there and play with everyone. It's it's not fair to the people who are paying their money too. So, yeah, find a solution for it. But I wouldn't I wouldn't sit down for twenty bucks and be hit split at disadvantage like that. Yeah, well, it's twenty bucks for the rebuys too. So oh, rebuy, yeah, a bigger tournament. Yeah, sounds that's like right. That. That's so, right. Oh, good luck with that, Justin. Let's, <laughs> let us know how it goes. <laughs> Uh, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at antiatmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how you would have ruled. comes from Dave Beeson. He says, we're in a $175 tournament and our dealer was obviously new and nervous. In the first 90 minutes, we had as many as 10 misdeals or mistakes and the dealer was slow overall. 
The floor was aware of these issues and started hanging out near our table. There were five tables in this tournament, and I, I watched as every other table had their dealers rotated out within the first 45 minutes. An hour and a half into the tournament, our rookie dealer was finally rotated out. I understand that everybody starts somewhere. First tournament needing to learn and get comfortable with tournament dealing structure and procedures. But should I have asked that our dealer get rotated out earlier? Other tables should have shared the joy of breaking this dealer in, and we had him much longer than the other table's rotation schedule. The blind structure was 20 minutes long, and we were lucky to get four or five hands in per level, and not because of slow play, just slow dealing. What would you have done? Elliot says, if dealers are being rotated at some tables in a tournament, then the rotation must include all of the tables. The players in this event need to be playing under similar conditions at all times. New dealers are generally broken in on uh, low buy-in tournaments or small-stakes cash games in the room. A $175 buy-in event is quite unusual for an appearance by a break-in dealer, except in Las Vegas during the World Series of Poker. With all the series running in Vegas, uh, simultaneously has gotten to the point where anyone with a pulse can get a poker dealing job for the summer, regardless of ability or experience. The situation of not enough decent dealers is leading to a substantial number of events of varying buy-in levels being dealt by people who are just learned that a flush beats the straight. What's been happening is is that in a lot of venues, the splitting of the tournament staffing fees and tips has resulted in tournament directors and supervisors being compensated very well and the dealers being given the shaft relative to their importance in the process. If a slight adjustment, not a complete reversal, <coughs> was made to the split so that dealers were better rewarded, one figures that better dealers would be enticed to fill all the necessary spots. The current situation is self-reinforcing because the low-quality dealers make many more errors, which means that higher-quality supervisors are necessary, and these higher-quality supervisors can only be enticed to perform a job with a potentially high workload by necessarily high compensation. The reverse is true as well. If the dealers were of a higher quality and making far fewer errors, the need for more, the most expensive possible supervisors would be lessened as the workload for each supervisor and tournament director would lessen dramatically. Why did we include all that? <laughs> I mean, all we had to find out was no, why this guy got rotated. We don't care about this World Series no, stuff. That's great. He, uh, he explained the answer to the question. And the <laughs> that's all we needed. And then wasted an hour and a half blowing up stuff he didn't need to blow up uh, while I got my 3D glasses on, oh, right? My God. It happens. Oh, you're uh, killing no, me. No, I think it's a well, – this is what I like about Elliot, though. I know you don't like him being verbose, but he took a fairly simple situation, which is, yes – this room was wrong to rotate some dealers and not others. I really honestly can't um, think of an example of where I've ever seen that happen. <laughs> I, I've seen, I've been in tournaments where dealers are locked in, which means right. that they don't have um, any spare dealers, so dealers just stay at the same table. Um, and I have expressed that I think that's unfair as well, too, because if you are at a table and dealers are locked in, and I'm locked in with this break-in dealer at my table, and I look over at Chris smiling at me when he's at a dealer with this person that can pitch cards to a cantaloupe. Uh, that's not fair, right? So dealers should still be moved, I think, even though there's no breaks. But um, this is a different story. This is, hey, all right, these three tables, you guys are staying there. And these 12 tables, you guys are moving around. <laughs> so that's wrong. But... So that's an easy answer, but then I think this is a, a, a thing that I, I don't think enough people understand is that it's there's so many tournaments in Vegas this summer that, as he mentioned, uh, you're going to run into a lot of bad dealers. And um, so it's kind of an insight into this universe that 
helps create that or, or create situations where it actually encourages the hiring of bad dealers. Uh, not that I think that happens very often. I think it's just a situation of supply and demand. There's just not enough demand or supply for the demand to sell it. Right, but we're talking about this is just a random thing from Dave that we don't know that this is part of the World Series. We don't know this no, is Vegas. This is just someone who's a new dealer who's not good. The problem is the rotating schedule. And the other thing, too, is that you can't say it's wrong either because the property can do whatever it wants. They can have its own rules for breaking in new players. You may be ticked exactly. off and say, I don't want to go back there, but there's no, you know, there's Robert's rules for poker and there's TDA, but there's no dealer guide that is set up in the poker room, too, that they have to follow. This no, is just their own thing. There are some recommended procedures. Right. Over TDA rules. Now, they're not rules, but they're recommended procedures, so people are on the same. Uh, again, they're recommended, so they don't have to do them. Right. Uh, I, don't, I don't know off the top of my head whether there are dealer push rules as, or be procedures as part of that or not. But, but anyway, you're right. But, I mean, the point is Dave was asking whether he should have spoke up about it. And the, the answer 12 minutes into this now is yes. 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 <laughs> Something's not right here. <laughs> And I would have been. I kind of wish you would have spoken up because I would like to hear um, the response. And, you know, it could be that maybe Dave didn't really pay attention, didn't didn't know. It, it seemed like other dealers were moving, but not. I mean, it's kind of the problem in a big tournament with uh, with pushes. Is you know, once somebody dealer taps one out, you know, then they have to go to the next one and tap them out. So it always looks like there's dealers moving, even yeah, though they're yeah. still only moving on a thirty minute push that they're supposed to have. And it so. takes a long time to get big enough tournament to get around. Dave but. Didn't understand. Um, but it's possible he did completely understand and it was wrong. And if that's the case, I would have liked to hear the explanation from the floor as to why it was happening that way. Yeah. So, so always ask. That's the short Always ask. Hey, we completed O'Malley's move. Here's part one. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I am Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in a friendly 50 cent $1 No Limit Hold'em Pot Limit Omaha mixed home game. This game can get a little loose pre-flop and oftentimes is pretty passive after the turn. Not a lot of chips exchanging hands. The game is six-handed and we've been playing for roughly two hours, sit pretty close to our starting stack, and are in the No Limit Hold'em round. We have 110. The blinds post, the under the gun folds, the MP calls, cutoff calls, and we are on the button with the ace of hearts, jack of spades. Okay, okay, so this is probably a raising hand, six-handed, but after a few bad sessions, we are a little gun-shy. We limp. The small blind folds, big blind checks, and with 450 in the pot, we see a mixed bag flop as the king of diamonds, jack of clubs, four of hearts comes down. It gets checked to us, and rather than pushing anybody out, we check as well. I don't like betting into three checkers. The pot is the same, and the turn is the six of diamonds. The MP makes a $3 bet into the pot. The cutoff folds, and we think for a time before making the call. The big blind folds. The MP is a decent player, but she can step out of line occasionally. When she gets bored, she plays loose, and she's been bored tonight. She sits with $95. The pot is 10.50, and the river is the king of spades. This may have helped our hand. We have kings and jacks with an ace kicker. As we're contemplating our move, the MP makes a $7 bet into the pot. So, does she have a king? Is it a weaker jack? Or maybe a missed draw of some kind? What's the move? Every part of me believes that this is a weak king, uh, perhaps one that got better on the turn. Um... 
I'm going to play O'Malley's game here, Chris. So O'Malley <laughs> says this player gets out of line when she's bored, and she's bored tonight. So it could be a weaker jack. So I suppose I'll call for O'Malley, but I really don't like it. Uh, unlike my podcast partner, I think that she has a king for sure. For I'm sure. folding. I think she likely has that weak king uh, and didn't want to bet that flop until she was sure she was good. And when that's when she decided the river made her even more confident. So I'm folding my second pair. Let's see what happens. Hello again. So what did you decide? The MP did not raise preflop, checked on the flop, and then came alive on the turn and bet the river. Is it possible she has something like Queen Jack or Jack 10? Perhaps she doesn't think we have a king and she thinks she can get a better Jack to fold. She might have had a Jack and some kind of draw and is not totally confident in her hand, so she's trying to get us to go away. I can't help but think she'd probably make a smaller bet with a king, say, Five dollars wanting a call? I guess my curiosity is worth seven bucks. We call. Our opponent tables king ten off, and we are well on our way to another losing session. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying you should always make the proper poker decision, no matter how low the stakes. I think I stepped out of line on this one. I hope to see you on the felt. Oh, I totally blame O'Malley. for <laughs> Totally got a fold. Damn you, O'Malley. We thought seeing Chris there, but, you know, then I was reading, uh, reading through the lines here. The silver lining is it's only seven bucks on the end, and <laughs> That's true. O'Malley's not going to have to apply for a loan to do anything in life, so we're all right. But, you know, now now he can't uh, give me a dollar for my hot dog eating. <laughs> That's right. There there goes your seven. If you made seven dogs, tough. Seven you can't pay for it kids. now. Thanks. <laughs> all right, it's time for Hand of the Week. Set your hands or situations to podcast at any at magazine.com. This comes from one of our favorite listeners, Steven Zagal. Actually, no, Steve Zagal. Dun, dun, dun. Um, all right, he says, uh, hey, Scott, long time. I like how he just sends it to me. Ah, that's cute. Scott, long time. No, he said you're not even ever going to respond to it, so he <laughs> sends it to me. Um, and uh, so he says, yeah, we were playing five-handed um, early in the game uh, while waiting people to show up. Buy-in is 60 bucks, and the three people in the hand have roughly 80 to 100. And I'm on the button with ace-five suited, and the middle position player opens to $2. Uh, blinds are 25 cents, 50 cents in this game, by the way. And it's on us. All right, so it's 25 50 we have about anywhere between 80 and 100 in front of us, because they all do. Anyone's involved in this hand. Uh, an MP makes it two to go, so he basically went 4X. We have Ace-5 suited. I'm going to call. I'm not going to re-raise. I mean, you are shorthanded, so this is probably a decent holding. But I'm going to call and then and then see what happens. I want to flop something pretty decent. If I don't, if I want to play the player, then I want to... I don't know what this player plays like, so if he's just like a... You know, I think she's player. bored, and <laughs> she might have a line when she's bored. And a jack you know. might be good. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's really difficult when you don't get all these details to really say optimally what you should do here. I mean, if this person, you know, I mean, I want to know what this person plays like before this. It's hard for me to just say, you know, what if this person was a, a stone rock, you know, that only raises with aces, you know, and then I'm looking at ace five. I'm getting out of this hand. But if I know this person's loose and crazy, I might play this hand and. Or if it's somebody I know when they miss the flop is going to check and I'm going to steal it. So I, I, I can't really give quality advice here other than to say, given what I know, I might just call here and try to make a flush or hit my ace and see if it's good five-handed. 
All right, I would say if I'm in a full ring game, I am calling always here with this holding. Assuming I had a big enough stack, which we do here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, ace five. Normally, I don't like ace rag, but anything ace with a wheel card, especially suited, actually is a playable hand in my book. Um, but we're five handed, so five handed, I like to be a little bit more aggressive, and I think I could feel a little more confident in raising here. Um, it all depends on what I'm trying to do with this game. Now, I don't know what the small blind and big blind behind us, um, what kind of players they are. So there's two ways to play this ace-five suited. I mean, one is on the draw potential of it, right? Because mm-hmm. um, you could have a straight um, or the flush. And if that's the case, then it's almost like a set mining situation, in which case you would want to call and hope that the small blind and big blind come along as well, too, and you get a lot of money in there, right? The other side of it is, is that an ace could be good, even a weak ace like this in a five-handed game. Um, this middle position player really could have lots of things. His range is really high, right? Mm-hmm. So if I take control of the hand now, now I can control the hand throughout it. So I can, uh, if I raise here, I could shut out the small blind and big blind and say heads up with this guy, which is usually pretty good. And then I have position on them as well, too. So now I have a lot of options on how I play this hand, depending on what the flop comes. So, um, whereas in a ring game, there's probably going to be a couple other callers, possibly, at this point. Um, and uh, I'm going to treat this as a set mining. But here, I'm going to be aggressive. So I, I'm going to raise this to four or five bucks. And four is not good. You're just min-raising, right? Yeah, well, that's true. Five. I mean, I still might get out the blinds and get your heads Five up with the guy, sure. but Five you're not going to get a fold either from some people. Okay, well, I obviously could go that way, uh, but you're using the amount of people in your position. I'm thinking I don't know what this player plays like. So if I'm going with your rules, yeah, the amount of people in position we have, yeah, I might re-raise, but I don't know anything about any of these people. Well, I don't either. I guess I'm just doing my general, yeah. this is how I play a five-handed versus nine-handed okay. rules. So. All right. So you you think the problem with five handed is it's harder to set mine five handed. I mean the, the the advantage of set mining is you got more people in there, you know, feeding the pot, and more likely that some of them are going to hit a piece of that flop when you hit your set or your straight or flush or whatever it is here. Mm-hmm. And so there's a better the odds are better you actually stacking somebody there. When it gets shorthanded, I think your your overall approach becomes picking up a lot of pot, a lot of smaller pots rather than stacking people. So you can stack somebody, that's still the goal, right? Yeah. It's harder to do it five-handed because you get fewer people in the pot, less money in the pot, um, so they don't normally go to a all-in bet as much. So I think you have to be a little bit more aggressive in picking up dead money. And here we have somebody that's just juiced at 4x, so there's some extra dead money in that pot now for me. All right. Well, we'll go both ways here. You'll re-raise, and I'll call, and we'll see what happens. Good. We'll see what happens here. Um, all right. Steven Seagal is on your uh, your side, so forget it. I'm not watching Under Siege 3. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Under okay. Siege 3 Resurgence. Yes. If it's 4D and Super IMAX, uh, nope, I'm doing it. <laughs> uh, and the big blind complete. So we're three-handed. Now, he describes uh, the opening Razor as a loose, aggressive player. All right, so now, even even better for me, I think. Yeah. Um, and the big blind is a thinking player who is tough. Okay. Right. Flop is 3-5-9 with two of our suit. Okay. Big blind checks, and the uh, opening Razor bets five Skittles. 
Now, before you answer, he says this guy is a typical C bet, or this is a typical C bet, and this player has the propensity to C bet and fold, or C bet and continue even with nothing. Wow, well, it's on us facing a five dollar. Well, we got we got wheel redraw, we got flush nut flush draw, and we have a pair. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna raise. So whatever he bet, you said five. Uh, five, yep. Yeah, I'll probably make it fifteen or twenty. I mean, I'm I'm happy with, you know, there was a couple of times in our home game where I said I'm not just going to get it all in anymore because I've stopped doing that. I've tried to not get it all in on, you know, and I like that PLO hand where I made would have made the right. flush. I just didn't do it and it didn't didn't work out this time. I would have gotten the flush, but I generally generally don't want to do that. But in this hand, a pair backdoor wheel and the nut flush draw, I'm willing to get it all in here if this guy wants to. So why not make it 15? Put pressure on him. Take advantage of the hand, take uh, control of the hand. I totally agree with you. And I will now mention, if we played it my way, we'd be interested in seeing how this developed, because now does this guy uh, donk bet into us? Because it's a crappy flop, right? Um, or probably not. Maybe he checks to us. And now the great thing is, is now everybody thinks that we are doing a typical C-bet, right? And it's not a typical C-bet for us, because we have a lot of options here. We, we, we hit... You know, we got middle pair, as you mentioned. Uh, obviously, we got a flush draw, which is great, and then you know, could develop into a straight still. Yes. Also, and now the, people do now think that we're just doing our standard C bets, and now we're likely to get raised by somebody else, and now we've trapped even more money. You're assuming calls, though. You raise, you get them to fold, fold, and all you got was the two dollars. Whereas now, with a call, so I, don't, I don't really have anything right now. You got a pair, a nut, a nut flush draw, a pair, an overcard, and I've got some potential. You've got a made hand. Potential? Ah, it's not a made. Parifies is a made hand. This guy could have had ace king. Yeah, he could have uh, a pair of ace too. You have a made hand. No, I, I, I would be happy. I mean, I'd be disappointed in the loss of potential profit, but I would not be upset if this hand ended now. Oh no, I didn't say that. What I'm saying is, given the way he played it, he got the additional two dollars out of somebody else, the two dollars from this guy, and he got the five dollar bet. If he makes a fifteen and he folds now, he made nine dollars in his hand. If he raised the way you did, he makes two dollars. No, I understand. If right. they fold, well, no, if they folded pre-flop. Yeah, yes. that's what I was saying. But even pre-flop, you you would be happy taking down every pot pre-flop with Ace Five that you ever. Every time you get Ace Five, taking down the, the pot pre-flop. Two bucks. Do are you ever excited to see a flop with Ace Five? Uh, when it comes three, four, two, yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> well, you know what the flop. Is. Uh, no, I guess not. But why would you? You? Why would you play the hand if you didn't want? Well, because I, I felt emboldened by one, my position, uh, two, by the number of players in the hand, and three, because there was some dead money from a raise in there. That's why. Nah, I, I'm happy with this flop. But in general, I'm happy you to make it fifteen. A secret power, right? That said, Scott, uh, anytime you had ace-five and you raised, you were going to win whatever. Everybody was going to fold pre-flop. I'd be, thank you very much. I'll take that power. Would you not? Yeah. So you seem to be upset now that, hey, I want to get even more out of it, which is fine. That's great. That's fine. That's the goal, isn't it, in poker? Is to get as much as possible? What I'm saying is I think you have better potential of getting more out of a hand like pocket queens or... Sure, of course. Rather than ace-five. Because it doesn't require you to hit. Right, exactly. But ace-five requires you to hit. But you've hit it. You don't think you've hit this hand? 
We're talking pre-flop. We didn't know we were going to hit it. Oh, no, I know. But afterwards, you said you still don't have anything. I said you have a made hand. You I do. Don't, but I have. I like my spot here. So what I like about it is the fact that I, I raised pre-flop. So it's likely going to be checked to me. And now I'm going to put in what looks like a typical continuation bet. And more likely that one or both of these guys are going to raise me because they think I have nothing and I'm just putting in a, in a continuation bet. And I actually have a hand now. Now, it's not a hand that I want to get all in with right now, necessarily, but it is a hand that I'd be happy if somebody raised me here because I've got so much potential with it. And I don't uh, think that's going to happen now because we just got the standard $5 bet from this guy, which we thought. Now, if we raise, which I'm advocating we do as you are, it's possible this guy's like, all right, so this guy actually hit something fine. I'm done. And so we picked up his 5 bucks, which is not bad. It's more than we would have got if we raised pre-flop and already folded like you think could have happened. Right. I, I admit but now that the situation's changed, the right. orders are out of date. Well, as we enter the second hour of our show, I'm going to have to agree with you <laughs> and, and <laughs> move on to what happens here. I, I'm just saying, you know, to me, first of all, I think we view this hand differently. But like you were saying earlier, if it was a full ring game, it's still playable to you. And I'm like, really? If, it, if the under the gun raises and then the middle position re-raises... You're going to keep Ace-5 and play it? No, it's not playable, no. Oh, okay. Well, you said it's playable in, no, no matter what. Generally speaking, it's playable. I didn't say if some guy wagers $1,000 and throws the deed to his ranch in the pot, <laughs> that, oh, yeah, well, it's Ace-5, i got to play. No, no. I mean, it's it's playable depending on the situation. All right. Well, yeah, I think every hand is playable depending on the situation. The reason I brought that up is, is that I think, generally speaking, people are not excited about Ace-Rag which is a phenomenally strong strategy. My point is, any ace and a wheel card is not the same as an ace for the wheel Right, card. right. It's not the same as ace six. Right. That's my point. All right. All, All right, right, so what happens? I have no idea where we are now. Right? <laughs> All right, so we're at, we just saw the flop. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, so we uh, call uh, to see how it plays out. Now, he says it's a good spot to raise, but I decided uh, I'd rather lay in the weeds and see what happens. Uh, the big blind ends up raising to $15 and the original better call. So now it's back on us facing another $10 bet. Well, here's the deal. We're probably up against a set now because what, what could that guy have unless he has, you know, like two of the same suit as we do and he's got a smaller flush draw, which is fine. If he's the one driving the action and he doesn't have the set, we're golden. Um, but either way, now we got dead money in there because w- w- one of these guys is going to let it go if we shove. You know, it's 15. Am I going to just keep calling? You know what I mean? Am I not going to take control? Yeah, I have no one position. <laughs> I'm totally calling here. I, I don't know. Maybe I call. But it, it's you're not going to get paid off if the next the suit comes that you need. Then you're going to all. Not, but now I unless one of them has two spades or whatever I it is. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. But I think this hand has gotten more dangerous now, and it's got dangerous because of the big blind. Of course. All right, we were just focused on this little laggy twerp that we want to beat up every time because he's a lag, right? Uh, but now the big blind all of a sudden decided, hey, I like this hand as well too. So the fact that he's check raising, so obviously we got to use our spidey senses and go, why is he check raising here, right? Does he have a real hand? Uh, does he have a set, which, as you mentioned, is very possible here? And he was hoping that he knew that this guy was going to bet, and now he gets his chance to check raise. He probably was not, depending on what he has, he may or may not be excited that we're in the pod as well, too, right? Mm-hmm. Now, 
he also could have strategized that he knew that this guy was going to bed anyhow, so he was going to raise him with really anything because that's an effective strategy against these folks because you know they're going to see bed and you know that a fair amount of time they don't have anything, right? So they're just putting pressure on you. So now you're deciding from the big blind, um, especially on this kind of flop, Trey 5-9, right? Now you can represent that you have something. And so he could be, I'm not saying he is, but he could be uh, check-raising with nothing just to try to get at this other guy and we're along for the ride. I think that's a very a little more dangerous plan because we're in the pot now. But it's possible. So I guess what I'm saying is I can't be confident of what either one of these people have. I think their ranges are still really wide. So at this point, I've got a hand that's got a lot of potential. As you mentioned, it's got a pair already, so it's made. Um, so at this point, I think I'm going to call and then just, just chance that when I hit harder that I will get paid off, knowing that there's a chance that I may not get paid off. But I, I'm a worry now if I raise and this guy has pocket nines, now he's going to re-raise me again, right? Uh, well, not I if I shove. Have to that. <laughs> well, here's you're, the deal. You're at 15 with. Yeah, here's the deal. If the guy made it five, yes, we're between 80 and 100 here. Right, but if we have 80 and we were going to re-raise, we would have to make it 45 or 60 anyway because we got a caller at the 15. So I would probably make it 60. I only had 80 to start, and I've already called five. You know what I mean? And I've already called the re-raise of twos of wow, seven. So that's bold. that's bold. I'm down to 73. If I was going to re-raise, because I'm really like my hand, I'd have to make it 60 anyway. I only have 13 left. I'm shoving. I, I can't here, argue with the math there, but that's I guess that's the difference. I don't love my hand as much as you do. Right? Well, that's what I'm saying is I love my hand. And, and, and the other thing, right, too, is fine. regardless of what the big blind did, I could be up against a set if it was just the first guy betting on making the set. I'm well, still, that's true, too. If the other guy went out at one away right. and we had re-raised the five... And the other guy just called the 15 that we make it to. All right, so let me ask you this. Hold on. Let me ask you this. So if you were already thinking that the original batter might have a set, right? Mm -hmm. Aren't you even more fearful that the big blind has a set now? I didn't say I'm not fearful of it. What I'm saying is I, if I'm wrong, I have outs to the nuts. But you, you, you admit that there's a really strong possibility, based on the way you're thinking here, that both of these players have a strong hand. Right. It's a possibility. It's not strong enough to beat your draw if you hit your draw right, right. it's possible so your five doesn't matter anymore right it, yeah it, it, my five is probably making make no difference because if you pair your five it's just going to make a boat if somebody has a right, right right unless it goes five ace or ace five or something then so now you're you're really you're, you're willing to put your entire stack in against somebody that or maybe two people that if they have what you fear they have are going to snap call right and now you're going to have to hit your flush or hope you get a runner, runner straight. That seems really scary to me. I'd rather just call here. Because well, I mean, every time you get it all in on a draw, you, you're probably behind. So right, what's the difference? No I'm behind. On a draw here. No, I know. I can call, but I also... How many times am I going to call? You know, now I call. Now this guy's going to bet again. He's probably going to shove. If I don't hit, now I fold it down. Rivers, so, yeah, you know, the, the rules of poker haven't changed, so... You know what I mean? If I no, what I'm saying is, if I call, I'm out of position to two people. Even though I'm in position, they're gonna bet now. If I don't hit the turn, I'm never seeing the I don't river. Know if they are, I mean, if that third. All right, so let's say I don't know what our suit is because he didn't say it. Right? I'm just so going with spades in my head. All right, so if that heart comes on the turn, 
a reasonable player, and I got to assume both these are reasonable players, are going to think, all right, if this guy just called the entire time, isn't that consistent with a flush? And then we don't get paid off. Either way, I'm not getting my money. Well, no, it doesn't mean we don't get paid off. It just means that they're not going to be eager to put a bet out that you're going to check raise them on. No, but let's say the spade or the heart, whatever, the suit comes, they're going to check. If the suit comes and doesn't pair the board and they check, I bet they fold. You're forced to get a bet. I don't think there's a guaranteed bet coming on this turn. I, if it doesn't pair, the, if it doesn't make a third suit, I think there's a guaranteed well, bet. Okay, coming. right. That's what we're talking about. But I don't think you're paying attention to what I'm saying. <laughs> I am. I really I'm don't. Thinking about it completely differently. So, in other words, <laughs> let's say if I just call, okay, and my suit doesn't come, I'm facing basically an all-in bet now on a turn, and I'm not going to get to see the river at all because I'm not going to call an all-in bet with one street to come. But I'm going to make an all-in bet with two streets to come. I'll probably get one of them out. Right. I might be up against a set. I may not be up against a set. I may be against nines. If you you shove now, you're assuming you're going to get called by somebody here, right? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe the guy was making a move, like you said. You already explored that possibility. The guy was making a move because the other guy does see more likely than me to believe that he actually has something here. So I think you have to be more likely to assume that that shove is going to get called, right? It could have been nine, too. It doesn't have to be a set. You're, you're trying to stack the guy, right? So you're gonna have to hit. But it could have been nines. It doesn't have to be a set. It could have been nines. Could have been two pair. Could have been threes and fives. And I'm still alive for the So I guess my ace. point is, is that what's what's really the difference here? And I know in general what the difference is, but I don't think it applies here. What's the difference here between you shoving on the flop here now, or just calling that same amount on the turn? What, what do you mean? What's the difference? The difference is I'm getting it all in. I'm guaranteed to see two cards and may get them to fold and take it down. Now, no, I'm saying is you're guaranteed to see the rest of his hand anyhow. You're not going to call that river bet. No, the turn bet. If I call now and then the guy it's shoves, I'm not. I'm not going to see the, the river. But if I shove, I'll see the river guaranteed if he calls. I, I need those two outs to make it profit to make it the right call for me. You know what I mean? The right, the right move. Well, you're getting those two outs. You're getting that next out. And then you're you're deciding on your own to give up that last out. No, last. I'm not getting. If I shove now on the flop, I get two streets guaranteed. We're if I only call ten, we're talking about the same amount of money. Ten dollars instead of shoving. Shoving is all my money. All right, let, let, okay, let's back up. So let's say we have seventy bucks in front of us right now, right? Mm-hmm. All right, and if you put if you shove seventy right now, right, you see both streets. I get that, right? Mm-hmm. If I bet ten dollars or call ten dollars or fifteen dollars here, and I put in fifty-five, sixty-five <laughs> on the turn, right? Mm-hmm. You and I are both seeing both cards. We're just doing it, and I'm doing two transactions. You're doing one transaction. No, that's wrong, man. Yeah, are you telling me that you think calling ten more now and then calling a shove on the turn with one card to come is the same as shoving on your own with two streets to come? I'm saying I understand the difference normally, and by shoving, you're putting pressure on them to fold right now, so I get that. What I'm saying in this hand, you've already seemed to think that you are comfortable seeing both cards. I'm saying that for the price and the way I'm playing it, I'm paying for two streets at once, and it's the right play to make given the, the, the amount of money that's in there and what couldn't be in there. Instead of you have one street to come, and you still have to hit your draw, I'm not going to shove 65 in to win 45. Okay, so it's a philosophical difference. So I guess I'm I don't think it is. It's a mathematical difference. 
With two cards to come, your odds are different than one card to come See, for 65. I would just call the 15 here is so I can reserve the right to fold on the turn. I understand that. You're going to fold on the turn if the guy shoves and you don't, don't want to call for it. Yeah, if, if your suit doesn't me. come and you don't hit an ace or a five and your suit doesn't come and he shoves 70 bucks and you have 70 in front of you for one street to come, you're I not going to call will, 70. You seem a lot more excited about this hand than I am. To two, for two cards to come, I am. Right, but you're still getting two cards, Chris. No, you're not, Scott, because you're getting 35 for the first card and 35 for the second. Right, but I mean, the other way you're doing it is I'm paying 65 with one card to come. The odds change dramatically, and I don't want to do it that way. The way I'm doing it, I'm right. making it mathematically more correct. You're looking at individual transactions, and that's fine, but if you look at it as a combined transaction, it's the exact same thing. You still can see both cards. Right, but mathematically, I'm making a better decision. Mathematically, it's a right, poor well, decision right. to do that. But math is only helping you make a decision. It doesn't change what the outcome is. Okay, so you're you're trying to get out of this by folding the turn and saying I save ten bucks. And I'm just trying not. If to I'm going to put in seventy five anyway, why see both streets? Not. If I'm going to put in seventy five anyway, why put why see why see both streets? Why not just shove now? What's the point of calling ten and knowing I'm going to call sixty five later? Be up against two really strong hands, and I'm pretty weak right now. Whereas I put fifteen in. I got a chance to improve and feel more comfortable about putting that other. No, I, well, that's what I'm saying. But if you don't improve, are you saying you're not going to call the river? I might. You're going to call the river without improving if the guy shoves. I'm not saying I would at all. I'm saying you sound like you would. No, I'm saying I wouldn't have to go there. I would already be all in before that. <laughs> okay, all right. Let's move on because yeah, I don't we, think you're understanding what I'm saying either. And I'm sure we've lost all listeners because now we're into. Uh, uh, day seven of this, <laughs> this podcast, and they're like, "You're saying the same things." I don't think we are. Uh, all right, so let's see. Uh, all right, so anyhow, we called, right? All right, so here we go. He called. Uh, he called the ten extra. Yes, okay. Yes. Um, so everybody called. So it's three in. All right, so that's uh, that right there is forty five in the pot plus the original six. So we're at fifty something. So really, any bet now, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be if you have a hand, a may good hand like aces up or something. Now nah, it's gonna be hard to fold. All right. All right. The turn is the deuce of diamonds. So uh, we pick up a gut shop and not the flush. Yeah. Big blind bets 25, and the other player calls pretty quickly. Jeez. All right. So I get a yeah, four to one on my money, and I can still make enough flush, and I have a wheel draw, and the ace could be good if I hit it. Even a five could be good if I hit it. You never know what this guy has. So, All right. So not, but, to, not to re-legislate our argument we just had here, right? Mm-hmm. But had we just called a 15, which we did, and now if we just call the 25, which we're probably going to, um, in our mystical 80 that we had, right? Now if the flush of straight gets there, do you feel better about getting paid off? Because we only have 40 that we can put in this pot? Well, if the flush gets there and they don't boat up or whatever... I don't know if they bet on the end. I well, guess they. Bet, you know, I mean, then I don't know if they call a bet either. They probably do. I don't know. But it's I, more likely they would right now that you think about the math here. But it's forty bucks. And, yeah, it's like one hundred and twenty-five in the pot if we just called here. There's a there's a higher possibility now that we're going to get those crying calls that you were worried about missing, right? I mean, I guess that's what I was trying to get at in that whole argument was that the possibility of getting paid off in this hand was higher than I think you were letting it. On to be if we hit. Well, now so that you've all really deep stacked, then that's a different. The thing. odds of the other guy calling twenty five again, 
You know, I mean, someone's got the same hand as not the same hand, but someone's got the flush draw too, or something here. I mean, I, what? How can they just keep calling? That's a good point as well, too. I don't know, but they are. So <laughs> I don't know. Well, we had the best flush draw. No, I know, and I know. I'm looking at. Uh, let's see. So what? We need a four here, right? We need a four. Four. So we don't have the best straight. We have the second best straight. Yeah, right? but that's not. I don't think that's even possible. That's Although with five nine out f- there, somebody could have six seven. Yeah. Draw. So I guess it's possible, but. But let's say the flush gets there. It doesn't matter. We've got the best flush, depending on... I mean, we don't know exactly what they said. No, we have to have the yeah. best because we the five can't be the suit. We have the exactly. five in our hand. Right. I don't know. So well, I'm about the other person have a flush. In fact, I hope they have a flush draw. Yeah. Well, you do, except they hurt your outs. But yeah. The other thing is that now that it's 25, there's so much money out there, it makes sense to call now. Because shoving isn't getting anyone to fold. Right, so that's my point. So, again, we don't know what our stacks are. We just know that it was, everybody had roughly 80 to 100. But, right. You know, now now we we have a level that's probably enough that if we shove on the river, if we hit, right. it's checked to us and we shove, it's probably big enough that some people might fold. But I don't think it's so big that we can't rule out the possibility of crying call from one or both of these people. Especially since we think one of them might have a flush draw like us, so they're going to get a so call, we're or they're going to bet, we're going to call maximum value out of this hand without having to take maximum risk on the flop. That's what I was trying to get at. It's different. I understand you're technically correct with how you want to play the flop and putting pressure on people, so that you either fold right now and you take the pot. Or, or I see both guaranteed cards guaranteed. Both cards. Right. If somebody okay. shoved on that turn, though, this isn't happening. You're, you're using what's already happened to defend your case. Right. When, but I think this, this would not have happened if the guy shoved. Then what do no, you do? No, but the fact that we called allowed this scenario to happen. But we, well, you're, this guy is playing it piss poorly right now. <laughs> right, exactly. That's what we want. But we can't rely on someone to play it piss poorly after the flop. Someone who check raises and only bets 25 into a huge pot. You know, I mean, I guess he made the right bet. I don't know how much it would have been. When was it two, four, six, and then fifteen is forty-five, so fifty-one. He bet half the pot. I guess that's an all right bet. But with everyone just drawing to him, maybe he should bet more. You know, he seems like these guys are just calling. He should have been shoving. So and, and you're right. I mean, the fact that he check raised there should give us reason to believe that he's going to make a more significant bet here. Right. Because we got callers, and right. so when he's got callers, but, he's thinking, "What could they have? Like, I, I got to protect my hand." Point is poker. It, it's so hard to figure out what everybody's going to do. So there's no right or wrong answer usually. No, I know. That's why I was defending the math. Because when you can't go right or wrong, then I'm defending the math, which is pretty. Right, solid. But even the math is subject here, because you're basing the math off of scenarios, information you don't have, which is always a problem with poker and uh, math and poker. Which goes back to the whole binary bunch of people that have left us long ago, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't think... Because in their mind, everything is mathematically figured uh, Right, even your decisions are mathematical. Because you're, you're basing it off chances and that, which I think most normal human beings can't do. Well, now I would call, because shoving right, exactly, accomplishes right. nothing. It makes no sense now, right? Right. Yeah, a shove absolutely. now accomplishes nothing. Exactly. Because I'm getting to see the river for a cheap price instead of, what's, what's the point of shoving us getting more money in there? But they're not going to fold. So a call makes sense now. Before, exactly. I wasn't so sure. Right, so he just took us a turn to agree, agree again. Right, the turn. Now we agree. Oh, <laughs> uh, All right, so our hero says, do I call or shove? If I call, I leave myself with about 40 bucks and no chance of calling river unless my card hits. Uh, I decided if a flush hit, I'm not getting anything from these players. If the flush doesn't hit, I get nothing, so I shoved. 
And luckily, both players folded. Oh, wow. Now, he says uh, the uh, lag player that opened all the betting had pocket tens, and the big blind had ace nine. Wow. See? Oh, my God. That's what I said. Just nines. Now, the ace wouldn't have held, but a five would have held, and a flush and a straight would have won it. Yeah, we had a lot of outs to win, actually, a lot more than we thought, but... Wow. Yeah, I, I still like the way I would have played it. Oh, so, no, we go back to the big blind. You're right. He should have been betting stronger here. Yeah. Because he had a very vulnerable hand. Vulnerable hand, and he had two callers who it seemed like they'd be drawing, but they the weren't. the same way that I would play against his leg. Hey, I hit my top pair. <clears throat> and uh, so this guy is just C-betting, so I'm going to check-raise this guy. And we complicated it by coming along. Yeah. That's what I talked about, so... Um, so he probably should have check-raised more than the 15. He should have made it a bigger bet to get us out. So if we had raised pre-flop, like you said, we won't know what the 10s would have done. Um, yeah, so here's the problem with that strategy is the big blind definitely would have gotten out, right? Yeah. <clears throat> the 10s, this is what these guys hope for, is that one of us gets all macho and tries to fight back at him when he has an actual hand. Now, I know Daniel Brown is going to say it's just tens, but um, that, that's a monster hand for a lag, right? Yeah. So he was going to re-raise, and then now we're stuck. Now we got to figure out, is this guy just being really loose aggressive, or does he actually have a hand? We stepped into it with an ace-five, which I kind of like, but I don't like it three-bet much, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, playing my way, we would have had to fold We would have lost money. Yes. Playing it my way. On this particular hand. Right. We're, yeah, yeah. we're all we're never a result of you, you never know. You never know what will happen. Each each hand's different. That's why this game's so unbelievable. All right, well I've got gray hair now, so uh, <laughs> I've uh, got gray hair. This is like circa two thousand eight show here. <laughs> two hours. Well, I just went over our listeners to uh chalk this up to the uh long over um, showtime podcast bank. <laughs> so the next time we do our crappy little cruise. Our crappy thirty five cruise minute. Like, or, all right. Give you a pass. Yeah, put this in the bank. I'm Chris Casenza. <laughs> we'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.